Have you ever given much thought to what the Bible is? Um, I'm a pastor, so I kind of had to, but uh, I'm hoping that there's some of you here today that are, that are just checking this out, or maybe someone sent you a link, or maybe it was your grandma said, you need to hear, uh, you need to be in church or, or get it re-engaged with us, or maybe you're just here because you like that the Bible is a collection of ancient poetry and stories and ancient wisdom. But I want to make sure you know, like at solid ground, we believe the Bible is a collection of stories and different authors and 66 books and poetry and all that stuff, but it's so much more. Uh, we choose to let the Bible describe itself, that it's inspired by God and it's the authority in our lives and it's useful for teaching and correction. And, and the most important thing for me personally is that this this text points us towards Jesus. It tells God's story, uh, pointing up to Jesus and, and, and pointing us in our day-to-day -day lives towards Jesus and then the future of when we will be with Jesus. So today, I just want to walk through a couple of these, uh, these verses here in a very important book called Colossians and that my prayer today is that our hearts would be reminded of the beauty of the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came down from heaven, left the comfort and safety of heaven to come and, and redeem this creation, redeem you and me, and that it's still good news. In fact, I, I like that line so much, I made it the title of this. It's still good news. And I, I want to read this to you, and then, and then we'll just walk through it uh, little chunk by chunk. And it's in Colossians. It's a letter at the back of the Bible, chapter 1, in the first eight verses. It goes like this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we prayed for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring up from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Now, uh, for those of you named Epaphras, you're finally going, yes, someone mentioned my name. I've been going to truck stops all over the country and looking for the keychain. Someone mentioned, we're going to get to Epaphras in just a minute. But I want to talk to you about um, uh, two things, Colossae, this ancient Roman cities, and also the day that the world changed in 2006, and I didn't know the world changed. Uh, the day, there was a day when this movie was released in 2006. It was called Cars. Uh, I didn't have a kid then. And uh, my, my children started coming along in 2008 and 2010. But my girls, they weren't into the Cars movie. But when I had my son, Levi, in 2016, a couple years later, 2019, 
The movie filled our home so much, probably babysitting my son too many times, but that's when I learned about Lightning McQueen and his legendary visit to Radiator Springs. And when he pulls up, when this car pulls up to Radiator Springs, it's a ghost town. There's no, hardly anybody there, and it's no, a place nobody goes. But as he hangs out in this town, he finds out that it used to be the happening spot there was a major road that went right through the town and there, was, there were businesses there and, and homes and schools and life and, and the economy was good. But someone made a new road that went around Radiator Springs. And that's what pops into my mind when I think of the, the, where the recipients of this letter lived. It was 100 miles inland from the port city of Ephesus. And it was a, a, a cluster of these three major cities that, that were near each other. But over time, Colossae wasn't so Colossus. It was a secondary city. Think like, you're not on varsity, you're on the JV team. And, uh, and the point of, of this letter, the Apostle Paul's writing it, he's never even been here, but he's heard about the Jesus movement in this city. And he's writing them a very direct letter. And the main emphasis of this letter is that Jesus is enough. Like Jesus is uh, not lacking anything. Jesus isn't somehow uh, broken. Jesus, uh, you don't need Jesus and something else for salvation in this life and the next. His point is that Jesus has the power to make everything and everyone well. Jesus. Um, but some people came into this new group of baby Christians and came in and messed things up, saying, well, I mean, Jesus is good. He's a great teacher, but, but he's not enough. You need Jesus and our secret knowledge, and you need Jesus plus our way of doing things. And they were called Gnostics, and we won't get into that, but they're saying their big thing was Jesus can't be God. If he was, he would never interact with human flesh. Like, ooh, yucky. And there was this big separation. And Paul has to, has to write and say, hey, I, I've heard about your faith in Jesus and, and what, what Jesus is doing inside of your hearts and changing lives. But make no mistake about it. Jesus is all you need. You don't need this extra stuff that they're trying to sell to you. And I, was, I keep thinking as I'm just reading the first couple of verses, like, the same thing is happening today. You know, when, when we talk about Jesus, they'll say, well, if Jesus is enough, then why is there still pain in the world? If Jesus is enough, then, then why do I still have these problems? Why do I still have uh, these difficulties in my life? And if, if Jesus really is good news, then, then what about the stuff happening in this country or, or, or a country far, far away? Paul deals with this directly, and I still think uh, when, we, when we think about what he meant to the Colossians and the people there, he, it still has something to say to us today. And over and over again, he points them to the fact that Jesus is enough. Even if you don't see it with your eyes, even if you don't feel it all the time, you don't always feel warm and fuzzy, remember, don't ever forget that Jesus is enough. Yes, we're going to have doubts that Jesus is enough. Yes, we're going to have fears, but Jesus, you know, Paul is pointing back to this person that said, it is finished on the cross. 
Like, Jesus was calling a shot. He was saying, this is a done deal. The first act of creation is, is over. Like, the pinnacle has happened. God's kingdom and God's way of living is here. It's right under our noses. And Jesus, even now, is underneath the surface recreating all of our, our lives, putting together everything that's broken. When he said, it is finished, it meant death for lifeless religion and just going through the motion and wondering if the gods were, were mad at us somehow. No, when Jesus said, it is finished, I'm saying, like, God is here. To, to, there's no more barrier between humanity and the divine. Like, it is finished. We don't have to wonder anymore. And we can hold on to that. And we're going to get to that in a second. So let's just, let's just walk through some of these verses here. Uh, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from our Father. Now, this is like a normal greeting in the ancient Roman world. There was structure and, and flow in, in these letters, just like we have in our email. Dear so-and-so, comma, return twice, <laughs> tab. Like it, it, it is a, just a normal thing. But Paul jumps right in here and to our uh, 2022 eyes, uh, especially for those of us in the Western, Western culture, we can... Uh, we can skip over some of these things that, that he puts right here in the introduction. He says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, of the love that you have for all of God's people. He's repeating the name of Jesus over and over. Our, the Lord, God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So, he, it's his way of, of calling his shot. He's saying, I know people in your group are questioning some of this Jesus stuff, wondering if that's sufficient for, for their salvation and their soul and to transform them. But no, it's, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's like um, uh, when you have a, a, you're with small children. I see the kindergarten teachers do this all the time at our school, at Altaloma Christian School. And they, they walk through our church building quite a bit to use some of our facilities and the kids get a little distracted and the teachers have to redirect them. It's over here, it's over here because kindergartners will pick up anything. <laughs> Ooh, a piece of trash on the ground. No, stay in line. Oh, look, squirrel. No, it's, it's over here. Paul is doing that. Like It's about Jesus, it's about Jesus. And it's easy to pick on with kindergartners, but how many times do us grown-ups, we have that same thing? Like, oh, this problem, oh, this, or, or there's this new idea, the new leadership book, or new, new self-help book. And it's wonderful to resource ourselves, but sometimes we think, ooh, this is the answer, this is the silver bullet that's going to fix all of my, all of my quirks or whatever. And I think if Paul were sitting down with you and me today, he'd say, oh, those things are good. Keep those in your back pocket. But it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus and nothing else. Be careful if anyone tries to get your eyes off of Jesus. They, obviously, if they're trying to get their eyes on you, but be careful 
when people say, no, the solution to all of our problems is this political party. The solution to all of our problems is this new leadership model. The solution to all of this is, is anything other than Jesus. Some of that stuff is under the Jesus umbrella and is very compatible, but it's all about Jesus. It is still good news that he came here. He suffered and died to redeem all of us, and he's still alive. Now, there's a little aside here. This same author here who's emphasizing Jesus, there's another letter he wrote to the city of Ephesus, uh, the believers there about 100 miles away. And in this video, he talks about, he uses this metaphor of, of the human body to describe Jesus' followers and their relationship to Jesus. He said, Jesus is the head of the body and the church or the movement in the, uh, in the ancient language, the Jesus movement, that's the body. And over and over again, Jesus is the head, the church is the body, the head, the body, the head, the body. Those two are intimately connected. And I just want to say, if you're here because you're, you're saying like, oh, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. I totally get that. We can pick up bumps and bruises from people, from people, because... <laughs> The church isn't a perfect place. It's a place where the worst of human behavior in, a, in the best of times is brought out into the open and dealt with. But you can't disconnect the body from the head. You need to be in a church. If you're watching this, uh, it's not just about you and Jesus and then you're good. Like We need other people in our lives. We need to be connected to the body. So we can know our role in the body. The two, you can't just do one or the other. It's about Jesus, but we experience Jesus through the others in community. And if you've got wounds that you've picked up from being in community, please let me step in the place of that community or that pastor or whatever situation it was and say, I'm sorry, but please don't give up on Jesus's body. If you're watching this and you're, you're really far away and you need help finding a good Bible-believing, Jesus-following church, drop us a line at sgbic.com or a comment or, or uh, send us a direct message. We'd love to be a part of, of that healing process. And it's not a little switch you can flip. It's a journey. But I think Paul would be right with me saying, like, you can't disconnect your relationship with Jesus from your relationship with others. And Jesus wants to use others to heal you and to keep you progressing forward in your life. So that was an aside. That was free. No extra charge for that one. Uh, but let's move on to verse 5. The faith and love that spring up from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that comes to you. Paul's using, and I think he dictated a lot of these letters, and sometimes, uh, especially translating from Greek, the language can be a little bit clunky for us. But I want to pick up on the one word here, hope. If that's your name, hope, you have an awesome name. I love that name, hope. It's a good thing. We need more hope in this world right now, right? But for especially those of us, Americans, English speakers, the word hope means like a wish or a possibility. Some of you are hoping that you can get married someday. Some of you are hoping that your boss or your supervisor notices your amazing work and your talent and you hope you get a promotion. 
Some of you uh, with toddlers or, or maybe college kids are hoping that your kids turn out to be functional human beings, <laughs> but it's just a wish. And some days you think, oh, maybe that's a possibility. But in the Bible, hope means something different. The, the word that Paul is using here is closer to security and assurance. It's not just a, a whimsical wish that I hope G this is all true. He's saying, no, we are secure and we are assured in the person of Jesus Christ. We can trust in God, but also we don't have to hang, have anxiety. We can say, God's still got the whole world in his hands. Jesus is holding all of this together. We, we are assured of it and secure of it. You know, I, I remember when I was a kid um, uh, in Florida, and I had a couple of buddies that lived around uh, a couple streets from us, a couple blocks from us. And this is before cell phones. I know it was when dinosaurs roamed the earth, where there's no dial-up internet. I couldn't email my friends. Um, and uh, I don't know, just the phone with the cord on it just didn't always work. So I would get on my bike and hope that Kyle and Ryan were home. And I'd walk up and knock on their door, and they had one of those cool doorbells that it didn't just go ding dong. It went do, 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 do. Maybe they were big fans of Close Encounters of a Third Kind. I don't know. But I remember listening to that song and hoping that Kyle and Ryan were home. And they weren't at music lessons or shopping with their parents. And I just remember feeling like, oh, I hope, and they op I hope that they open the door. Well... Jesus is even better than that. Like scripture tells us that Jesus is knocking at the door to our hearts. We don't have to wonder if we belong in God's house and is God going to open the door. Paul is saying here, there are a lot of things in life that can get us off track, make us hope in different things that, that aren't secure. Who wants to live their life by a wish? Oh, I hope that person can fix everything for me. I hope that new boyfriend can fix. I hope that new job can fix everything. I hope this new friendship can fix everything or this new elected official can. No, 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 Paul's saying, we have hope in Jesus Christ. He's got you, he's got your town, he's got your city, he's got your marriage, he's got your kids. Don't get off track. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and that's really good news for me. And I think that's really good news for all of us. And then Paul continues, you know, in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the world, just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. So there's this growth that's happening. There's this, um, I don't know, it's a proverb or a saying from some culture where the tomato rolls down the hill and it's, it grows a new plant. That's kind of how the gospel and the good news works. In our church uh, network, a couple of years ago, uh, we discovered there are other churches that are calling themselves Brethren in Christ, like in the middle of the jungles of South America. And we were like, uh, the leaders of our, of our church network were like, did we start a church in Colombia? Did we start a church in Brazil? No. Well, they're using our logo and they're calling themselves Brethren in Christ. And it's like the, the good news just keeps rolling on. 
this Jesus movement, it's, it's unstoppable, really. Even in the midst, and actually thrives when the culture is hostile to it. And uh, it makes me think, like, if you were into the good news, so this is for those of you who've been around church for a while. If you're into the gospel, you're into growth. Where the gospel goes, the gospel grows. So don't worry, I'm not about to take a, uh, an offering right now. I'm not going to twist people's arm to, to do a, 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 like an invite campaign. I'm, growth here is defined as by Jesus' kingdom. The growth imagery that Jesus used was of farming and of nature, not of manufacturing. We're not into manufacturing. But we do want this message to get to as many people gets me out of bed in the morning, wanting to be a part of Jesus changing people's lives. I want to be a part of Jesus changing people's stories. So if we're into the gospel, we're into growth. Growth that's, that's sometimes frustrating, like farming must be. Growth that's out of our control. Farmer can't control the rain. Gardener can't control the rain. But God can do everything. And in and, and Jesus' words, he talks about it like a, a mustard seed and a smaller plant that, that kind of grows. And it, you don't notice it at first, but uh, eventually it takes up this whole space. And then it provides shade and, and, uh, and shelter for different animals. But if we're into the gospel, we're into growth. So if you're looking for a place, you know, sometimes people... They'll say something like, oh, I just love coming to solid ground because it's a small church. And I don't care how big the church is because growth goes deep, growth goes out, growth goes up. I'm not a huge numbers guy. But what I don't want us to say is I like this place because it's manageable and it's just my little click. No, 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 no. No, that's not what Jesus wants. He wants this message to grow and split and, and roll down the hill. So if you're into the gospel, you're into growth. And first and foremost, in your heart, when you give your life to Jesus, the gospel and the good news grows in your heart. And Jesus becomes first before your spouse, before your kids, before your job, before your reputation, before your accomplishments, before what people say about you. So maybe that's where you are today. Let the gospel grow in your heart and the good news of what Jesus says about you. You are redeemed. You are God's son, God's daughter. From the moment you say, Jesus, I give you control of my life. Let it grow. So what is the gospel? In case you missed it, it's the good news. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection have happened, and that means we are no longer enemies with God. And nothing defines us. Nothing else defines us but the life of Jesus and what Jesus says about us. It makes all the difference in the world. When you are a Jesus follower, the color of your skin doesn't matter as much as what Jesus says about you. Jesus says, you're my son, you're my daughter, you're adopted into my kingdom. Your gender doesn't matter because you're a Jesus follower. Jesus following matters more than what your bank account says about you or your nationality or where you were born. Jesus defines you. It's first in your life. And speaking of the gospel growing, 
the, the news about Jesus didn't stay in Jerusalem. Jesus told his disciples, stay here until you're filled with the Holy Spirit and then go into Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and all the world. It didn't stay in Jerusalem. It didn't stay in Rome. And in, in that chunk of scriptures we just read, you talk about them hearing and understanding God's grace. I remember hearing somebody criticize one of my old senior pastors because he, he loved to preach about the grace of God. And they were like, yeah, 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 we get it. Can we, can we get to the deep stuff? Can we just stop talking about grace? And I remember thinking, can you ever graduate from grace? Because I need it every day. <laughs> can you ever really wrap your mind around the injustice of grace? We got and we daily receive what we don't deserve. And Jesus, after living a perfect life, got what we deserve. I can't wrap my mouth, like there's deeper levels to that. I think grace is the deep stuff. The grace says all the good things that we do when we follow, some of you tithe 10% out of everything that you make and you give that back to God. And that is a wonderful and good thing, but that doesn't make you in right standing with God. It doesn't make you holy before God. Some of you serve at your church or you volunteer out in the community and you give of your time and you give of your expertise and that's a, it's a wonderful thing, but that's not what makes you righteous, a right living person or a holy person. It's a good thing, but Jesus is what makes you holy. Some of you have a rich and vibrant prayer life that I'm, I'm envious of and I wanna be like you when I grow up. Some of you study the Bible and you, you, you are experts in dividing God's word and those things are wonderful, but that in and of itself isn't what makes you holy. It's what Jesus has done for you. The grace of God is unstoppable. I have a friend who uh, went on vacation to the beach and uh, as an object lesson, uh, right as low tide was ending and high tide was coming in, he laid down on the beach. And his wife's like, what are you doing? He just laid down right in the break of the waves. And he's like, I'm trying to stop the tide. She's like, oh, you've lost it. Uh, and he was, he was trying to like f even teach his body that grace is an unstoppable force. It's, it's just as, as uh, sensible to try to stop the tide from coming in. Uh, so we do all of those things, prayer and Bible study and serving and tithing and all those good things, not because we have to, but it's because we get to. Jesus has made us great. And as the gospel grows in our heart, those things aren't obligations. Those things become fun. There's when Jesus said in, in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Uh, and righteousness means right living. I love the connection between hunger and thirst because some things are an acquired taste. And as the gospel grows in your heart, your taste buds change. And you become less self-centered. You become less worried about what people think about you or less worried about what you accomplish. And you realize there's this like, anxiety freeing thing of this isn't about me and it becomes i get to be a part of what god's doing this is awesome oh i get to learn more about jesus this is awesome that's the heart that god wants to give you 
if you'll give God a chance, if you'll make room for Jesus in your heart. So I'm almost done, verse seven and eight. We're gonna get to Epaphras. So you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the spirit. So there you are, all my, my friends named Epaphras out there. You're finally getting the spotlight. I love the fact that this guy brought the good news. He started this group of Christians in the city of Colossae. It wasn't Paul. Now, Timothy, Paul's protege, is mentioned in the, uh, in the introduction. It wasn't uh, what Andy Stanley calls one of the Jesus franchises that the Apostle Paul started, as clumsy as that phrase is. Epaphras isn't a famous name, but he's known by God. There's no fame, but he's known by God. I think it's pretty famous. I mean, it could be argued. He is mentioned in the Holy Scriptures, but he wasn't the big shot, but God still used him. I think that's so important for us. No matter what we do for a paycheck or did for a paycheck or want to do for a paycheck, to remember that it's important that God knows who we are. In our culture, you have to be famous to, ha to be fruitful or to have meaning or to be a person of worth or value. And Jesus says, that's not true. What makes you a person of worth and value is the fact that you're God's kid when you give control of your life to Jesus. When you start following him, you're famous in the right way because God knows who you are. God sees what you're doing. And our, our culture worships, that's what the Bible would call an idol. We worship the idol of fame. But Epaphras, he's not Paul, he's not Timothy, and he was running in his lane and tell, talking to people about Jesus wherever he went. He wasn't in the big city of Rome. He wasn't 100 miles away in Ephesus. He is on the JV squad in Colossae, Colossae. And he tells people about Jesus, and God saw it. And I think that lights God's face up with a huge smile. So I think God would say, if the world doesn't see you, I will. Don't worry about it. I've got you. No one recognizes you. I recognize you. Someday, when we follow Jesus and we, we are standing face to face with God, we're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We live in a culture that's always looking for new things, shiny baubles to fix our problems, to fix our culture, to fix our nation, to fix our marriages or whatever it is. But don't forget the simple things. God's grace. We don't need one more new life hack. What we need is to come back to the basics. And for some of us, God's grace and the power that is in the idea that Jesus is still alive. Let's not become so familiar with that that it becomes unfamiliar to us. We need a new understanding and a renewed emphasis on the good news. Because my friends, it is still good news. And I wanna do everything in my power today as we're spending time together to, to, to point you back to a savior that is fully and still completely enough, no matter what you are going through, 
No matter what you did last night or last week, no matter what was said to you recently or what was done to you, Jesus is enough. So as you go through your week, I want to challenge you to ask yourself a simple question. Where are my eyes looking? Are you looking inwardly like our culture tells you to do, that all the answers are somewhere magically inside of you? Where are your eyes looking? Ask yourself that when you feel anxiety come up over what to do or or a difficult conversation you need to have. Where are my eyes looking? Am I looking for some new answer? Am I looking to just find the strength in myself to just suck it up and try? Am I looking to another person to be my life preserver? Or am I looking to Jesus? I know I've said this before, but if I had one thing I could tell you, I would boil it down to this. You've got Jesus in one hand and you've got your problems in the other. And whatever you turn your eyes towards takes up your whole focus. But when you make Jesus your focus, your problems are still there, but they don't have to overwhelm you. So let's have a moment here today where we just take an inventory and start practicing now. Uh, I'll invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes wherever you're at. And just in the presence of, of a God who loves you, just ask, what are you focusing on? What, where are your eyes focused on? And if something pops up that's a focus other than Jesus, just surrender that to God now. Say out loud, God, I give that to you. Dear Jesus, we ask that as you search our hearts, God, you would take our burdens You would take the things that keep us up awake at night when our head hits the pillow, things that we're worried about, and help us to focus on you, that you would fill our gaze up with your grace and your love and your sufficiency, that you would be our answer, and that you'll give us the faith we need uh, even to get through the most difficult circumstances that some of us are going through right now. Help us to keep our eyes on you. We release fear, we release anxiety, we lay that down at your feet, we release everyone and everything to you, God. And we are trusting that you are the God who you say you are. You are sufficient and you are alive. We place our trust in that today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, don't forget you can always reach us at sgbic.com. We wanna keep encouraging you. We're already praying for you. Uh, But let us know how you're doing and let us know how we can serve you and journey with you. And this week, I want to change. Usually I do a little benediction, but I want to change it up. And this one comes from Hebrews chapter 12, the last half of verse 1 and then the first half of verse 2. But it says, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So may you keep your eyes on Jesus this week. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.